Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, and here with me today is Lisa Sequino, the co-founder and CEO of JLo Beauty. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Hi, Priya. I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? Good. Lisa, you just told me recently that you moved to LA. When was that big change? Oh, yes. I just moved to LA four weeks ago. So For this job, right? Absolutely. I took my whole family, my little five-year-old boy, my husband, my dogs, everybody, and we, we came out here. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't a choice. It was a must have. And I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. There's New Yorker now in LA. Yes. You're a tried and true New Yorker. You're from Long Island. You've lived here forever, correct? That's correct. So full black outfits, wardrobe, everything had to be overhauled. Uh, you know, but, uh, but I'm super excited. I get why people don't leave LA now. I get it. That luxurious caftan linen life is calling all of our names, I think, eventually. I don't know about that, but I, I certainly am the fastest driver on the road and the earliest person here in the office, but I'm loving it. It's a great way of life here. So Lisa, take me back, because I know you have a very interesting background, and you didn't actually start in beauty, although you've had many different roles at all the big beauty companies. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, I've always been a beauty fan ever since I was a child. I love to do makeup. I love to learn about skincare, but I don't think in the eighties, anyone did a good job of educating young girls or boys about getting a, an executive, uh, career track in beauty. It was always, you know, for me, the perception was you can go work at the beauty counter, which is amazing. And I've done that before, but there really wasn't a, a career track pathed out. Um, so I really, I mean, I, I like to say I hustled my way through my career um, in the sense that I've always been working. I've worked since I was 12, whether it was, you know, waitressing, uh, bartending, just kind of finding odd jobs to always have cash in my pocket. Um, I went to school with the thought of becoming an attorney. I came from a pretty traditional family where the choices were become a doctor or an attorney. I decided to drop out of the thought of law school and, and, you know, my family was super thrilled with that one, but ended up, you know, working in New York City at a startup where my sole, you know, salary was commissioned. So I got that taste of hustle, you know, kind of creating your own destiny early on. I loved the fact that I was 22 working on a commission based salary, but I knew, you know, I, I wanted to learn a little bit more about running a business if I wanted to be successful. Um, so I then went to Procter and Gamble where I worked in uh, their pharmaceutical uh, division for a while in sales. And then I actually moved to Ohio, um, rural Ohio, to work in their disruptive innovation team, which I would I always joke, I say it's the best and worst job I ever had because I was so unqualified at the time to do it as far as you know, building products, uh, taking technologies that the company had either purchased or created and creating brands that, you know, met that need of the consumer and brought the technology to life. I was a salesperson. I had no business degree. I was surrounded by Harvard MBAs and I'd come home crying every night that I couldn't read a PL. And that's the real truth. Um, but I always say, I feel like I have a lot of grit. <laughs> My dad's an entrepreneur and he always taught me to have grit no matter what. So I literally showed up every day. I kept coming back, even though I was crying, couldn't understand what anyone was saying, but I learned. Um, I learned really, really quickly. And I learned that there's a huge benefit of understanding your customer and your consumer and creating things that delight them in ways that they want to see it, feel it, touch it. And that got me hooked on product and making amazing product and really transforming people's lives. But I still crave beauty. 
I didn't, you know, love necessarily working in the digestive wellness space, although it was quite interesting. Um, however, I did have the opportunity then to move back to New York, work in Procter and Gamble's um, acquisition division of Prestige Beauty Products, which was super interesting. Um, taking brands that they had purchased and putting them into different business models, working on licensed businesses like the fragrance division. Um, but I knew I really wanted to be in luxury beauty and I was going to school at night at the time. Um, and I knew that that's what I really wanted. And I had the opportunity to interview at Estee Lauder companies. I got the call. I remember at like 12 o'clock at night and the interview was at 7 a.m. You told me that who was, which brand was it for? It was for Tom Ford Beauty, which was is to me the ultimate luxury brand you could, you know, wish for. So that was the dream call. And I remember spending all of my rent money on an outfit. I had a friend that worked at Bergdorf Goodman and she let me in early and I got an outfit and I spent more than my rent money actually. And I remember saying to myself, if I don't get this job, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do to pay my rent. But I went in and I interviewed and I don't know, you know, it was one of those moments when, everything comes together and all the things you learned and all the things that you want um, come together. I had the opportunity to, to get in front of amazing people and tell them about what I wanted to do. And for some reason, they thought it was a great fit. But I have to tell you, I sweated it out. It took six months to finally get the job. There's a lot of interviews. Um, but when I walked in that door, I'll never forget my first day of work, I was like, oh my God, I, I really belong here. And this is an amazing opportunity. And I took it. I mean, I had such a great run at SLR companies working with so many great people from Tom Ford Beauty and globalizing that to having the opportunity to work in licensed fragrances and working with great people like Michael Kors and John Idol. Um, I had the opportunity to work and run the Sephora business for the company when the Sephora business was very little and, and Ulta was very little. And I kind of opened the door for the company to say, hey, here's where the future is for the consumer, at least in the Western world, and, and really created a multi-billion dollar portfolio for the company. Um, and then I worked on amazing brands like the Estee Lauder brand, which if you think about like a namesake brand where your fa the family name's on it, you can imagine you know how many people were looking at that. It was a big business that hadn't grown for a while. Um, so I had the opportunity to, to take that business and, and modernize our approach, focusing on great product, focusing on the core customer, uh, really telling the brand story in a modern way. Um, and I did it with the best team. I, I still, I was joking, I was walking in New York City last month and I was walking down the street and my old team at Estee started screaming on 7th Avenue. They're like, oh, you know. And it's like one of those moments where you you built something so big. It was a billion-dollar business, and we were growing so fast. And it was just one of those moments where you, you look around the room, and you're like, oh, my God, this is so special. Um, I also worked in, in acquisition brands and taking them into the company. And then the last job I had at Estee Lauder was running the North America business for the whole brand portfolio, which was amazing. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, everyone would say, your job is so big and you have all these employees. Don't you love it? And I loved beauty, but I have to say, I really wanted to get back to building a business. And I have had this conversation a lot with people where you get to these high levels and big corporations and it looks so glamorous, but I missed the grit. I missed building something from the ground up. And, you know, I came to a crossroads in my life. You know, I turned 40, my little boy was five, you know, four at the time and, I said, is this what I want to do? I mean, I've had such a good run, but 
you know, is this it or should I go for it and start my own company or do something else? And, and that's what I did. I'm serendipitously, I ended up meeting Jennifer. We had, you know, common, uh, you know, people that we knew and, and, you know, she was looking for somebody at the time to run her skincare business. And I was like, oh, I don't want to run a small beauty brand. I want to go create my own. I want to go do, maybe work in a different category. And uh, we said, you know what, let's meet. I went to LA and met her and we fell in love with each other because we both saw the opportunity, especially in the beauty space, that could be so much more than what was out there today. And we both saw that it wasn't a skincare business, but it was actually a lifestyle business that we were going to go off and build. And after a lot of conversation and a lot of deep discussion about what we wanted our company to be, how we wanted to co-found it, what we wanted it to stand for in consumers' minds and hearts, I went and said, say, I resigned and, and that was it. And, you know, I, I started working with Jennifer and didn't look back. But I have to say, I would never have the opportunity to work with her unless I had the opportunity to experience all I did at my previous companies and the wealth of, of knowledge and experience that I got, I think, readied me to be able to take that leap. Go back a second, Lisa, because, you know, you said something there that really struck me that I think a lot of people in beauty don't realize. But you said you were going to night school. Are you going to business school at the time? Yeah. While, mm -hmm. while you had a full-time job, while you were mm -hmm. at Proctor, correct? Yes. And so, you know, when you talk about grit, it's something that's, you know, in today's day and age, like... Everybody wants to be a founder. It sounds so cool to be a founder. Like, how do you think your experience is so different from that? I mean, it seems like it's just a totally different model, you know, not old school, new school, but just like, like you said, grit. I mean, at the end of the day, right, I think a lot of people can talk the talk, but what it requires to run a business, whether your business is a $10,000 business or a $10 billion business, I believe like, you need grit. You need to be able to have the vision, but you also need to be able to roll up your sleeves and get it done and get knocked down and keep going and getting back up. Like the resilience and the grit to me is the difference. And I think the reason why Jennifer and I get along so well is we both come from self-made backgrounds. Nobody was there saying, oh, hey, you know, here's an opportunity for you. Nobody gave that to her either. Um, so overcoming doubt, um, having more self-worth, knowing that you deserve a seat at the table. And if someone's not going to put you at the table, go make your own. I mean, these are all things that I learned the hard way. I'm 40 now. Like my 20-year-old self didn't know that. My 30-year-old self didn't know that. I just wanted to keep moving forward. So that example of business school, I was exhausted doing that. But I knew that it was going to help me in some way or form get where I wanted to go and have a, a skill set or give an advantage of knowing a little bit more um, that would allow me to flourish in situations that got really hard, and it did. And when you got to Lauder, you know, you said that you know, you were ready, you were ready to be there. You know, was that kind of a, a true feeling or was it a faking it till you make it feeling? It was a fake it till I make it feeling. Oh. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I definitely, you know, I always say when you surround yourself and, and you sit in a room of people and you don't think you belong there in the sense of like, you know, you look at the contribution, you're like, oh my God. I mean, what I learned really quickly at, at Estee Lauder companies was like the amount of touch in the sense of knowing the product the feel for the product, the disruptiveness, the creativity is not something you can teach. And what I brought was my, you know, Proctor fundamentals, but I quickly fell in love with the art of, you know, the science of, of the consumer and the understanding of the fundamentals of the business and the, and the art of the beautiful product and creation. I actually 
you know, I work with somebody right now I'm fortunate to work with who I worked with in my past life at Tom Ford. And I always joke, you know, she walked into the room my first day of work and I was blown away by her because she came in with all these wild, amazing ideas that I had never even thought of before. So it was for someone who was dying to work in prestige, it was like such a, it was like a kid in a candy store, right? Um, so I was ready and I faked it till I made it, but it, it was hard, right? It was a definitely a different environment and you had to be tough. You had to know your stuff and, you know, you had to have grit even in that instance. And I flourished in that environment. I loved it. What was it like meeting Jennifer for the first time? Oh man, I, I didn't know what to expect. I think, I think most people don't know what to expect. And, you know, I was ready as far as I, very buttoned up, had my presentation all ready to go and, and all ready to speak with her. I was really surprised when I met her how real she was. She's a New York girl um, who gets it and who's very straightforward and she's very kind and respectful. I was used to, I had this preconceived notion based on other maybe people I'd worked with in the past that, you know, maybe she wouldn't be as warm or open to me. And she really from day one was super kind, but also super smart. I was so impressed by her business savvy, which makes total sense if you think about like someone who's had such a great run, but that doesn't come from just luck. That's resilience, grit, and really smart business decisions. So she's a really amazing business person. Um, I think the other thing that I really was excited about was that she and I complimented each other. She has big creative breakthrough ideas. We both have breakthrough ambition I, you know, have the business savvy in the sense of like beauty and lifestyle and wellness. And she's got the understanding of what the customer wants. And when we came together, it just felt like a really good fit. Um, I hate to compare it to this, but like, you know, when people say, oh, when I met my, my spouse or my partner, I knew it was it. It was kind of the same thing. And I guess if you think about it, like when you co-found a company together, it's even more intense than a marriage sometimes. Um, but she's, she's kick-ass, right, in all ways. And, and I think the last thing, you know, that everyone wants to know is, and she's, I think, even more beautiful in person. So I believe it. I believe is, it. She is, but she's, she looks amazing, but she's awesome. She's an awesome person, more importantly, and, and I'm super lucky to, to do this with her. Lisa, I've talked to you before about this. You know, the landscape right now and the moment that we're in in beauty is so celebrity and influencer-led, you know, Obviously, J-Lo sits in a class of her own and J-Lo Beauty does. But tell me a little bit about what you saw and what you think about that. Like, you know, there's so much crowding in a way. And some, and I think we saw it last week when Brad Pitt launched his skincare line. People's minds exploded because, you know, they were some were excited, some were upset. But what do you think about that saturation? Does it affect you? You know, I, I think back over the past four years, you know, at my old seat where I would sit and look at brands that we would potentially look at to acquire or, or where the where the market was going, where the customer was going. And I always went to the same conclusion that most companies are focused on a certain customer who's younger, who's, you know, 18, 25. And the ignored subset, which I became part of, is that power 40, 50-year-old that to me, is at the peak of their power. Because if you think about it, most 40, 35, 40, 50-year-old women are earning the most. They've got the most going on. They're most discerning and they could care less in their life about you know, impressing anybody else. They really have a good understanding and they want to feel amazing and hot and cool and sexy. And they also have a lot going on. No one has spoken to them in like a modern way. 
you think about like anti-aging and the tension is like most women are like all about pro-living, getting better at every age and not feeling worse. So I have to be honest, like before I met Jennifer, I was about to leave and start my own brand because I felt so strongly about this customer base. I say that to you because I think the celebrity, the, the celebrity overall, the brand landscape, whether it's celebrity or not, is super saturated with like a topical message. Yeah. You want your eye, you know, your fine lines under your eye to look great. But the more important thing is like, how are you connecting to the customer and are you giving them something meaningful in their life? And I guess it comes back to my proctor days. Like if you don't know your customer and give them something that has emotional transformational benefit, you kind of fall short. And so my point of view is any brand, whether it's celebrity or not, if it doesn't have a strong connection or reason to being to be with the consumer, it's not going to be as successful. And for us, you know, one thing that rises to the top for Jennifer is her authenticity in the sense of never giving up, never failing, but also having a tremendous sense of self-worth, which took a long time for her to have, which many of us can relate to. So for us, it's about making a discernible transformation in people's lives with amazing product that works hard, feels good, makes a difference, great community. And it's not about, you know, a group of influencers or creators. It's about authentic community of people having real conversation and real access to information and, and great service, treating people how they want to be treated. So I don't think that the market will ever get to a point where there's not continued entrance, which makes it actually exciting, competitive. But I think consumers are, are cutting through a lot of it to say, well, what does this brand mean for me? What's it, what are you doing for me? It's kind of like when you're dating, right? Like, what are you going to do for me? Because a lot of people, especially women at 40, like they've got a lot going on on their own. So if it's not giving incremental benefit, then what's the point? So that's really been our focus. We're not a celebrity beauty brand. We're a pro-living brand at a lifestyle business that goes beyond to make people feel great, look good, and enables them to have limitless potential. You know, Lisa, when we talked before, you said the word anti-aging to me, and I never thought of the brand before talking to you, obviously, as an anti-aging line or even like this lifestyle idea. Like, Tell me a little bit about that that was your message because, you know, you're absolutely right. Everybody wants to tackle and treat and target 20s and 30-year-olds and now even like, you know, 12-year-olds with mm-hmm. Gen Z and Roblox. But, um, you know, it's been tricky with that space because – the anti-aging category leads to menopause and the menopause category isn't sexy. And even though we're seeing changing there, you know, people kind of forget you after a certain age, especially women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, everyone says anti-aging and they think of their mothers, (laughs) you know, you think about hitting 40, you don't want to look like your fifth, you know, older, like your grandparent or whatever you are dressing like, most 20, 30 year olds, you know, you have a lot going on. So it's the tension to me in the market, which is so obvious is like, speak to me in a modern way. I don't want to be spoken to where I'm talking about anti-aging. I'm, I have so much great thing, all these great things happening in my life. Like give me something that speaks to that. So for us, it's about, you know, empowering people to go off and feel that way about themselves. I did a ton of consumer research when I first started to understand who is our customer. And who is she? I spent a lot of time with them. And uh, I'll tell you that our customer is doing it all. She's 40s, 50s, maybe mid-30s. She's got a job. She's got kids. She's got responsibilities. She's exhausted. She's lonely. She feels underserved. Yet she still wants to feel fun 
and sexy. So when you think about an, an old school anti-aging commercial or presentation, that's not what she wants to see. She wants to somebody that, that looks like her, that's doing the same thing. And, you know, you're giving them things that actually make a difference to their skin or to their body. So you're not just telling them, yeah, use this for, for 10 weeks and hope for the best. You know, that was the other thing. If you're going to play in this space, you better deliver. So when we created the product, it wasn't just putting something on your face. It was about making a transformation instantly and over time. We put a lot of science behind that because you make a promise to people in that space, you have to deliver. The product has to work. And, you know, again, my 40-year-old customer does not mince words, right? It either works for her or it doesn't, and she moves on. So it was a very big task that we were going to take on, but we knew it was important to do that and deliver against that promise because one, no one else was doing it. And two, Jennifer authentically does that every day. That's where her brand can really win. Um, but yeah, it starts all with the customer and knowing, and knowing about her. And I'll tell you, we, we came up with this thought of pro living versus anti-aging. And I have to tell you, it's confirmed every time we speak to them. So they feel confident. They feel like the best days are ahead of them. That's the woman that you're speaking to. They want to feel that way, right? And to them, Jennifer gives that shining example of someone that does it, has a career after 40, gets married to the love of their life at the age of 53, has the courage to go out there and do the Super Bowl. You know, things like that that give give encouragement to women to go be who they want to be at any age. That's that's kick-ass. Um and so that's what we're about. Tell me a little bit about what your goals were and ambitions were for year one and year two, because we're in we're almost at the two-year mark of the brand. It launched January of 2021. What were you hoping for? I know you were a Sephora exclusive. You were very focused on D2C, but you know, you're a numbers girl. You're a business girl. Tell me what you were hoping for. So, you know, for me, I was hoping for the business to accelerate rapidly, knowing that we had a very good proposition. We were focused on core products and key subcategories where we had the right to win. And we went for it. I mean, what I learned in my career is you don't have to over-proliferate your distribution to grow. Leonard Lauder taught me that. And so it was about making a meal of where where we currently had. Um, so for example, you know, we still have the Sephora exclusive in brick and mortar, and we love Sephora, and they've done such a great job and partnership with us. Um, and we've, we've driven the business forward there and we've grown. Um, we've grown our D2C business. I would say our overall business, um, I'm very proud to say in short of two years has tripled. Um, our market share is bigger than most brands that have been in business a lot longer than us. Um, so we have over 1% market share and we continue to see uh, our growth, even our comp growth, um, outpace the market. So I'm very pleased. I've, we've exceeded my expectations, but you know, we have big ambitions. So as we look ahead, I want to double, triple again. Um, and I want to continuously grow a market share. However, I want to do it in a very healthy way. What does that mean? That means that, you know, having the fundamentals of, you know, optimizing even more how we acquire a customer, um, you know, continuing to drive retention and keeping our customers happy and loyal and evolving our service model to really delight them and, and surprise and delight them in even a bigger way. Um, you know, launching new product in our existing channel. We just launched our body line, our booty bomb, which is a raging success and continues to grow. So there's a lot more for us to do within the constructs that we already have. Um, but to me, it's 
preparing the business for, for the next chapter of acceleration requires continued growth in our current channel, our hero products, delighting our customers. So when we go off to that next phase, uh, you know, we have a lot, a lot of oxygen and, and momentum to, to achieve what we want to achieve. When you think about that next stage, Lisa, of course, I'm always forward thinking, as I'm sure you are too, but is that international? Is that, you know, more retailers or more distribution channels? I know that you just partnered with Hydrofacial recently on the JLo Booster. Like, what does that look like? I know, of course, global domination, but we're not quite there yet. We, you know, we, um, we've carefully looked at where we go next, both domestically and internationally. And I have to say, there's a lot of demands internationally. Um, there's in demand for Jennifer internationally, but, but especially beauty in some key, key markets. We're looking at it. Um, and certainly, you know, there's, there's opportunity, which of course we'll capture at the right moment. You know, the hydrofacial partnership was something that was just made total sense to me. Um, you know, when Andrew, uh, their CEO of Beauty Health, which owns hydrofacial and I discussed it, we felt like it was a great partnership because you were bringing the JLo glow, right, to the professional community, to the customer that really wanted to have that luxurious experience. And what I loved about it is the great technology that they brought. And what we brought was an amazing product, our Hero Glow Serum. So coming together to for us to, to really tap into that very powerful uh, professional community of doctors, derms, estheticians, um, to reach the customer in a new way and for them to to leverage our power of JLo Beauty and Lifestyle and Jennifer herself to drive more awareness to their channel just made sense. And we're very excited about the partnership um, for this year and, and the future of the partnership into 2023. It's a great opportunity for us both. Tell me more about the professional channel because, you know, that's something that's very much overlooked, I think, with a lot of beauty brands. But, you know, some very savvy skincare brands are really getting in that space beyond just traditional retail. Do you think that's something that might grow further down the line? I think so. I mean, I go back to my my Procter & Gamble days when I worked in this very sexy digestive health division. Professionals had a big influence. They were the original influencers in healthcare and the key opinion leaders. And if I think about our consumers today, She's savvy. She's not just listening to a beauty advisor of the past. She wants to hear from a doctor, a derm, a plastic surgeon, an esthetician, what she should be doing for her skin. And so to me, the authentication of that recommendation partnered with the luxurious experience of actually finding the time for a facial <laughs> for all of us, you know, is definitely a sweet spot where you can share the message of what your brand stands for emphasize the clinical effectiveness and do it in the company of an amazingly effective uh, tool. So yes, I think that there's a major opportunity in professional. And I think that that opportunity translates to, you know, growing your business with authority. Uh, you know, we have a huge community here at JLo Beauty and Lifestyle. It's not just Jennifer, who's amazing and very powerful on her own with almost 500 million followers worldwide. But our community is just as powerful as Jennifer. We have our professional community that we're seeding, as we just discussed. We have our fans. We have our consumers. We have our advocates, our creators. And we're even considering, you know, allowing our customers to to promote and, and sell our product. I mean, we've had such a huge demand for that, too. So there's a multi-level um, chain of influence, I would say. But the professional community is quite important, especially when you're when you're running a, uh, a very, very... 
performance-based uh, line of skincare, for example, like us, that you need to have. Um, and it needs to be able to stand up in a professional community in order for it to be the best for the customer. Tell me a little bit more about that community, because I know you mentioned who she is, but how are you connecting with her? I know Jennifer has on the JLo, that newsletter, which people are rabid for, but are you using that as a way of connecting with all JLo fans and JLo beauty fans? So there's a couple of ways that we're leveraging our community. One, we have a significant amount of owned customers that we're able to tap into given the size of our D2C business and the overall size of the amount of consumers we've captured. We are constantly speaking with them, communicating, either testing new ideas, hearing from them about what they want, what they like, what they want, what they dislike, tensions, opportunities in their life, not just about product, but everything that they're doing. So there's a constant communication a build of that community, forums, in-person, digital, Zooms, events, all of that to really, you know, we treat our customer base like a family and we want to know um, from them on the regular. So that's one. Two, the On the JLo newsletter has been rabbit success because Jennifer has offered a very exclusive point of view on what's happening in her life. So we'll continue to evolve that and, and develop it. There's a lot of exciting new things that uh, we're working on there to delight the the really uh, big consumer fan base that she has. And the other community that we're, we're very, very proud of and we're continuing to develop is what I like to call our seriously sexy science uh, community. I'm a big believer in women in all industries. And I think science is very underrepresented with women. I consistently meet with amazing kick-ass developers, scientists, doctors, formulators, et cetera, throughout the world that are doing amazing things in beauty and outside of beauty and wellness and longevity. And so cultivating a, a community, a board, a, a squad, if you will, of these amazingly talented women and uh, who are doing things differently in science for the betterment of health, wellness, and, and the overall um, appearance, both inside and outside for women. So that's a big community, another professional community that we've developed and tapped into because you have to remember Jennifer has tremendous access to these experts. And so leveraging the, ac the access to the experts to give to our community and allowing for that information to be shared broadly to our, our fans and our users is a big advantage that we have as a brand that we continue to develop and, and accelerate. What about product, Lisa? Tell me more about that product pipeline because, you know, newness is what makes the beauty world go round. And I know you're very focused on body as well as skincare, facial skincare. But I mean, is this lifestyle? I mean, you're JLo Beauty and lifestyle. So could this be a makeup line? Could this be a hairline? Or are you really focused on skin right now? We're focused on skin and body now. That's not to say that there are not other categories um, in our future. You know, when we look at what our customer wants, again, it goes back to what is our customer telling us? They want to live a holistic lifestyle that doesn't just product on your face when it comes to skincare. So through our, our research panel that I've shared with you on these amazing world-renowned scientists that we partner with, we're really exploring new ways in order to get that, you know, that youthfulness, whether that's internally, externally, whether that's through skincare, makeup, internally as wellness, nutrition, fitness, we look at it all. 
but our ultimate goal is to give the customer self-worth, right? So everything has to deliver upon that. So I've been very careful about the, the categories that we've looked at and, and started planning against because each one of them needs to deliver against that promise. And if we fall short on one of them, it won't, it won't deliver. But I will tell you, I mean, on the topical standpoint, everyone looks at Jennifer and wants to look like her, right? And that includes a lot of things outside of skincare, makeup. They want to smell like her. They want to feel like her. So I say it's always a, a five sense, five senses approach to how we build out our pipeline. I noticed, obviously, Lisa, of course, you're a newer brand, but I'm sure you have the resources there, that it has been a very curated approach to product. I mean, you're not launching every month. It seems like these are one and done, like this is the really the best thing that you're going to get from us. Is that what you're thinking about? Is that how you're approaching it? Every launch that we create, in my mind, needs to be a hero product. And what I define as a hero product is something that you can't live without. We've all been in the place where you've had your your travel bag, your makeup bag, your skincare brand, and you run out of something and you're like, oh man. Or you, you know, if you don't have something, you don't feel as as complete. That's been the thought. I mean, many brands go out there and create 100, 300 SKU, you know, assortments, which is wonderful. But at the end of the day, I don't think you can overproliferate and still stand for having hero products. So we're definitely focused on big kind of shutdown moments with big product. Um, and the other thing about our brand is that we go through a tremendous amount of clinical testing. I'm not just creating something and putting it in market. We test, we spend the money to test, um, not only, you know, over time, but instant. Uh, we look at a tremendous amount of clinicals, not only in the science, but how consumers feel. So we do confidence claims too. So for example, when we launched the booty bomb, we did a whole confidence study on our customers before and after. Would they feel confidence wearing a swimsuit? Would they feel confidence being naked? Um, and those results are really fun actually to, to see and, and to uncover. Um, but I will, I just want to say one thing, Priya, you mentioned before. I just want to, I want to touch on it. You say, you know, your assumption was that we had a ton of resources. We don't. Um, so one thing just to note, and I think a lot of people are surprised because they see the Jennifer Lopez name that, you know, we're rolling in resources. Jennifer and I both come from the school of like, how big can you make something and how much can you get out of limited resources? So we have a very similar approach of like a utility knife, uh, <laughs> skill set as far as team, you know, A plus people, but really I would say you have to be able to do a lot, um, here. We have a very small group. Every dollar we spend, it needs to have a big return. We're not, you know, we're not operating in a world where, you know, sky's the limit as far as, you know, sourcing. We we're very proud of the way that we invest in our business and we're very, very savvy and frugal in the way that we approach it so that we're maximizing the best for the customer. And we're also very smart about how our business economics are run for the maximum benefit of the company's long-term value. How big is your team, Lisa? Our team is 20, we've 25 people today. Um, most of us are here in Los Angeles. I do have a New York satellite and we just opened a Miami satellite as well. We're growing um, at a rapid speed and I would say that we would look to hire more in the future for sure, but we don't have a ton of people and um, we have a ton of A plus people though. And I always say like one JLo Beauty and Lifestyle person equals like a team of 10 somewhere else. Um, so I'm really proud of the people we've brought here because it's, uh, it's really an, a phenomenal group that uh, I feel very lucky to have as my partners every day. 
Lisa, you know, obviously we're thinking about 2023 right now. I think everybody is holiday and 2023, but we're also like with the backdrop of all this economic uncertainty, inflationary worries, you know, lowered consumer spending, you know, I know you're aware of this. How are you managing that with those goals and with those ambitions for the next 12 to 24 months? Hmm. You know, I think the companies that will do the best coming through this economic uncertainty are those that are focused on the things that are very, very solid in their company, focused on fixing the things that are not very quickly and managing their cash very well. And, uh, you know, for us, I always like to say we have the principles of a Fortune 100, co- 100 company, the savvy of a scrappy startup, and the vision of a major, major player going forward. Meaning, you know, we want to be aggressive in growth, but we also want to have sustainable growth. And so, you know, things that are nice to have that we may want to hold back on and until we, you know, see what's happening in the market in early 2023, we're going to do. Things that are working, we're going to continue to push. Um and so it's it's having a good balance, I would say, but it's also being re- realistic about your business and your cash flow and and being really, really precise and surgical about how you're spending that cash when it comes to inventory and ass- assuming certain, you know, retail sell-through or hiring uh, certain amounts of people and whom and how and what and looking at the productivity of the business weekly, monthly. Uh, I think those people that have had, have that discipline as well as the passion and, and ambition for growth and the realistic understanding of their cash flow are those that are going to prevail. Those that get too aggressive or don't make the moves that are required in order to get into a very healthy state are those that are going to lose out. Lisa, it was so great having you today. It was wonderful talking to you. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. And uh, I really appreciate it for you. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.